Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. It reminds me of part of a complete breakfast. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. Bond of Satan or actually not that bad. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. Should he eat his friends or give them treats? A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. Don't eat your friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And this week we are talking about gaming. The good, the bad, the maybe not that bad, the actually kind of good... You guys have a lot of thoughts on these, as do I. And this is gaming. We've talked about screen time, which is a little bit of a broader topic, right? Yes, this is specifically gaming. And actually, that's interesting. The difference between that and sort of broader social media is significant. Although gaming is also a place where our kids can meet and chat and have conversations with their peers and other people, which is also part of it. So this is something that my kids are just getting into. And I didn't even really know that this world existed like do your kids do the thing where they play games and they're on a headset and they're talking to other kids playing games yes so i have 12 15 17 are my kids and two of my kids game and the other one really doesn't but yeah my oldest plays xbox with his cousin in pennsylvania and they talk to each other on headsets while they're doing it yeah, this is like we're just about to dip our toes in this water. I feel like my kids are just asking me about it. I'd never even heard of it. And my son also, who is the sort of foremost gamer in my house, I guess, he also has a Minecraft server that he spends a lot of time on for fun. Like, this is what he does to relax. He's on Minecraft with his friends who are in a very sort of broad tri-state area, people from summer camp, whatever. They all meet on this server and, you know, build castles and joke around while they're doing it. And he, I asked him last night at the dinner table, like, okay, I'm going to do this episode on gaming good and bad, what do you think? And that was the sort of primary pro that he put into words that he loves being able to connect with his friends in this relaxing and laid back way that to him feels very real. Yeah, I get the positives of that. My kids are on Roblox, I guess it's called. I've heard of it. Yeah, Roblox. And it's like a world of gaming where people make their own games. So it's like sometimes they're managing a pizza parlor and sometimes they're like shooting people. I mean, I should probably know more about it, but it's seriously not interesting to me. But the big attraction is like Saturday morning. They all get on and their friends are there. Mm -hmm. And we just went away with the cousin who we didn't know super well. Like my kids had met her, but like we just spent a week together. And now every morning they're like on this game together and they're like, oh, my God. Yay, we're back together again. So the Centers for Disease Control does studies youth, and they have noticed over the last 20 years that social development has partially migrated from physical playgrounds to digital ones. And so for better and worse, this is where kids are meeting and hanging out, and it is a form of currency like, okay, Crystal is one of our listeners, and she says, having an 11-year-old boy, video games are kind of a must. Even though I'm sort of anti-devices, it's what all the boys do and talk about. Yeah, I have an 11-year-old as well. My oldest is 11, and I have spoken on the podcast before about I banned Fortnite early on because I just saw it, and it seemed like girls in tight shirts shooting people. It just seemed like, now nah, let's skip this. And... 
my 11-year-old has been pushing for Fortnite because I'm thinking about it. I have to actually like sit and figure out a couple of things about the game and figure out what my objections are and whether or not they are valid. But it does seem like I am cutting him off from a lot of like after school interaction with his friends because that's where they are. They're not doing Minecraft and Roblox. Right. They're doing Fortnite. Monica, another one of our listeners, made what I thought was an excellent point. She said, in the age of social media, I'd prefer my kids play video games. They, it can be safer. Of course, it can be completely creepy and unsafe in video games and social media. But the sort of when they're engaged in running a pizza parlor or building a castle or, you know, saving themselves from the zombies or whatever, there is a sort of common activity that keeps them all busy instead of, you know, like poking at each other instead of bullying and that kind of thing. You're engaged in a common quest. Yes, although certainly if you're, it's just like the playground, like, yes, you're all playing together. But if the bully comes over and starts calling you an idiot, like they can do that just as well in while you're playing pizza parlor than they can when you're actually playing on the playground. Oh, absolutely. I just mean, I think like nature abhors a vacuum. And I think that sometimes that bullying stuff goes on when the kids are bored. Like that is the activity. Like that is the game to play is let's shame, you know, the kid whose shirt we don't like when they're busy it's different what I worry about it and I guess my kids would tell me like I worry about like if I'm watching all the kids play in my backyard and someone's calling someone an idiot I scream out the door like stop calling each other idiots or I'm sending you home I worry that they're playing these video games where they're talking to each other my kids are not yet on headsets they're typing things to each other I guess and I do worry that I don't really see that stuff. I don't exactly know what's being said. Well, the headset is in a way better because you can be in the same room and hear what he's saying. Like, yeah, no, I don't know. What about you? Oh, yeah, I really hope Christmas comes soon. Whatever. You can hear what they're saying. Yeah. In a way that you can't when they're on screens. Yeah. I worry a little bit about the screen thing and I'm not sure. And this would probably take like three hours of work on my part that I just haven't done. Like, I'm not sure even when my like seven year old is in the pizza parlor making her pizza whether or not some rando could just jump in and start talking to her. I mean, maybe, right? So I think we should get to that today. Some sort of what are the parameters we're supposed to be putting on these games, if any. So we asked on Instagram and Facebook, we asked you guys to tell us if gaming was the spawn of Satan or actually not that bad. (laughs) And the very scientific results of our study was that 55% of you said not that bad, actually, and 45% total spawn of Satan. I'm surprised it's 45% spawn of Satan. Like, I feel like I can't mentally get anywhere other than necessary evil. Like, I mean, even if it is the spawn of Satan, like, I'm not taking my kids off of it. I don't like them. I can't say I'm anti them. I don't like the way my kids behave when I try to get them off them. But wait, we were talking about the good. So I think we should for now stick with what's good about it. All right. Because there's plenty of bad. So we'll stick with good. Should I give you a couple studies? Because, of course, there are many studies about this. This is somewhere that I really feel like I want studies. I feel like this is an area of my life that I have become a passenger aboard the boat of my kids play video games. I would like to move closer towards the helm. Exactly. All right. So I'll give you a couple of benefits of video games that you might not have considered. There was a study in the Journal of Youth and Adolescence, which will make you feel better. Kids' preference for violent video games was actually not associated with changes in their behavior later. In other words, their being the kind of kid who wants to play a violent game does not make them more likely to be a violent kid in this study, which surprised me because it all seems sort of foregone, doesn't it, that they're going to play a shoot 'em up game and then start punching kids in the playground, but maybe not. Mm, Yeah, I think that makes sense to me. I mean, I think that if you had a video game that could influence your kids, I would make my kids play like the Eat Broccoli video game. Like, I just don't think that it doesn't surprise me that video games don't have that much of an influence in kids behavior. But we pick so carefully the TV shows that we watch, like, you know, Veggie Tales or Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. And we think that the TV shows we show them can teach them pro-social behaviors. Really? So it's interesting that this study, well, sure, you don't let your kids watch just anything on TV. You make sure that they, lots of parents, make sure that they watch stuff that teaches kids positive messages instead of the itchy and scratchy show. But with games, this is saying there's not such a one-to-one connection. But I don't think there's with TV shows either. I doubt it. 
I just don't think that anything has an outsized influence on your kids. I mean, I wouldn't show a three-year-old, you know, it because I think they would have nightmares and it would be a problem in the house. But I don't think it's because I think they would grow up to be a killer clown. No, but you don't think that watching a Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood that's about, you know, say nice things to your friends is worth your kids watching because it's going to teach them a positive message? Not really. I do. If you could show your kid Daniel Tiger all day, and if you act really crummy in front of your kids, Daniel Tiger isn't going to have any influence on that. Or want to have more of an influence on your behavior, perhaps. It's going to, I mean, the influence that like Daniel Tiger makes a friend is so minimal to me that it's negligible. I mean, is it better maybe than watching Daniel Tiger, you know, eat people, <laughs> rip his neighbors to shreds and eat them? I guess so. But Daniel Tiger, <laughs> don't eat your friends. I mean, I'm not a huge believer in the influence that like what your kid watches for half an hour a day probably doesn't influence them very much in the grand scheme of things. All right. Well, it's time for another episode about Daniel Tiger and whether or not it really affects our kids. Yes. Should he eat his friends or give them treats? Daniel Tiger, spawn of Satan or actually not that bad? Okay. But back to gaming, which is what this episode is about. Gaming frequency, the same study in the Journal of Youth and Adolescence, found that gaming frequency was not associated with changes in hyperactivity and attention. And I gotta disagree there. I mean, like, when you have your kids turn the game off with the saucer eyes, I think my kids act crazy after they've played games for too long. But this is saying... Overall, at school, kids who gamed at home versus kids who didn't, they didn't see changes in hyperactivity. Again, I'm not sure that I agree with that, but that's what the study says. It makes sense to me. And I mean, do you know they've done studies that sugar does not affect children's behavior? No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a ton of studies that show that like... It's our imagination. A sugared up kid is a myth. I think we just give we, what do you call it? Is there like a spaciness that comes while you're actually playing a video game? Like if you did a study, like does your child listen to you more than when they're sitting in front of you looking you in the eyes or when you're calling to them from the other room while they're playing a video game? Yes, there is a difference between those two behaviors. They're saying is are there long term effects from playing video games? Yeah, I guess so. Right. Is there an effect on Thursday from having played a game on a Monday? No. The other thing that that was not associated with was changes in pro-social behavior is just like, you know, let me hold the door for you or like letting somebody, you know, get in front of you in line and not punching them in the shoulder because they cut, you know, that kind of thing. Like how to behave in the world is pro-social behavior that gaming does not affect pro-social behavior negatively unless they play more than eight hours a week. And that sounds like a lot, but it's not. These things are also, I mean, these kind of studies, and we talk about this a lot with studies, kids who play more than eight hours of video games a week, there's other things going on that make them play more than eight hours of video games a week, you know? At first glance, eight hours is like, what, eight hours? Who plays eight hours? And then you think of like, if your kid does this instead of watching TV, eight hours is no problem, easy to get to. If you're doing this instead of YouTube videos. Yeah, there's just a huge difference between a kid who plays a little bit of extra video games in the context of like going to high school, eating three good meals a day, you know, gaming that becomes someone's babysitter an entire life because their parents are, for whatever reason, really not able to supervise them. I mean, these studies are just, they're not counting a million different factors. I'm going to push back on that, though, that if you're saying about a kid who like just plays as much as he wants and his parents aren't even paying attention, that's way more than eight hours. I'm telling you, that's like 20 hours a week. Yeah. That eight hours a week is a lot more of our kids when you stop and think about it than you might realize at first. It sounds like more than it is. Yeah, I just don't know from the study, like how many, I think most kids probably play more than eight hours of video games a week who are gaming. Well, let's go back to there's one more significant bit of good news that's sort of secondary effects, but it's real. So since 1991, the Centers for Disease Control has been tracking risky behaviors in youth. So this is like starting in ninth grade, which is older than a lot of our listeners' kids, but we're headed there. So they've been asking since 1990, they've been asking about 15,000 ninth graders a year, whether they engage in risky behaviors like smoking pot, drinking alcohol, having sex, and also ask them if they watch TV for three or more hours a day. They were asking them that in 1990. And then starting in about 2006, they started asking instead, do you play video games for three or more hours a day? As the rate of kids who play three or more hours of video games has 
risen from 25% of ninth graders to 45% of ninth graders said they play three or more hours of video games a day, which sounds horrifying. But as that rate has risen, the rate of the other risky behaviors has plummeted. Like in 1990, almost 40% of ninth graders said they had had sex. In 2017, 20% did. So it's been cut in half. And the alcohol and the smoking and the everything else and the watching TV has, you can't believe, I'll put the um, link to this graphic up on our show page at whatforshellpodcast.com. The point is, while the gaming has gone up, all the risky behaviors have plummeted because they're playing video games instead. I think that video games certainly... There's like an active versus passive, but I don't think that like teen pregnancy rates are falling because they're playing video games instead. There's so many other variables there. Well, it's screen time. That's what they laid at the feet of, you know, that social scientists are like, it's the screens. This is the iGen and they're on their screens of which games is a part. And they have, you know, virtual relationships instead of real ones. And that sounds scary, but there are good things about that, which is they're not driving around with their friends getting drunk. They're home playing Minecraft on group servers. Right. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. So there's good news. I guess. But we'll have some more bad news. Let's take a break when we come back a little more of the bad news about gaming. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. So it's not all good news, Amy, that's what you're saying. It's not all good news. We had two listeners on Instagram who came in hot. That French press on Instagram, she said, coming in hot, I will resist tooth and nail if my son ever wants to play video games. I will relent if he really wants to, but there will be major boundaries in place. I would love to know how old her kid is. Yeah. Probably under five. Yes. Her 13 month old. (laughs) But then Stacy responded and said, I am also coming in hot. I am an elementary school counselor and the damage I've seen to kids development from unrestricted access to video games breaks my heart. Hmm. Yeah, I think unrestricted access. This is where I'm like pushing on the thing of like, there is a huge difference between playing 11 hours a week as opposed to eight and unrestricted access. And that's where like the when you cut it at eight hours, like, yes, we're seeing much more over eight hours. Like what percentage of those people are playing 10 hours and what percentage are playing 25 hours? That's the question for me. Well, if we believe this study, almost half of ninth graders say they play three or more hours a day. So (laughs) Right. So that's 20 hours a week. That's a lot of them. I mean, three hours of video games. When we 
On Saturday mornings, we have Saturday morning sleep in, as I've discussed. And so sometimes my kids, if they go to bed early on Friday night, are up at 6.30. And we sleep in until 8.30. And then we kind of just lay around and do nothing until 9. That's two and a half hours of video games that my kids are playing on a Saturday morning. Right, right there. I'm not that worried about that. That's like part of our... And then we get up and they read for a while. We go out and do an activity. We're busy all day. And then at night, they might play another hour of video games. That's almost four hours a day of video games, which seems like a lot. But in the context of a very busy Saturday where everyone's doing a million things, they start and end the day with maybe a little too much video games. Like, ask me to care about that. I don't. All right. Well, I'll give you some studies <laughs> that say your children's brains are slowly turning to glue. Well, it just but I mean, you just got to eight hours a week pretty easily. Right. So no problem. If it's more than eight hours a week, it's going to be a problem. Well, OK. So these are the studies about when it does start to have a negative effect, perhaps. Iowa State University did a study that showed, good news, no direct link between whether a gaming system is in the house and lower grades. There's no correlation between a kid's grades and whether or not they play video games at home ever. But there was a direct link between bad grades and a gaming system that was in the kid's bedroom. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Because that's unrestricted, right? Because there's no oversight at all and you're going to bed and you don't know how late they're playing. That's when there's a link. So the upshot of this study was you might want to get the system out of your kid's bedroom. That's hard, though, when they play on a laptop, which goes anywhere. I mean, my kid's playing Minecraft on his laptop and my kid has a Nintendo Switch, which are fabulous. They go in the car, on the plane, whatever, but... They're extremely portable. You're not like hooked up to the TV with 1100 wires anymore. I just think the correlation is about sleep. It's not about video games, you know. And so the problem with having a gaming system in your kid's bedroom is that you may not be in charge of how much sleep they're getting. A kid who gets 10 hours of sleep a night is going to get better grades than a kid who gets seven hours of sleep a night. And so if the video game is playing a role in that, it's not necessarily that the video game is front and center in that. It's that sleep is front and center of that. So like my kids have been bothering me to get a TV in their bedroom. And I'm like, there is never going to be a TV in your bedroom. We're not doing screens in the bedrooms. And so, yes, as they get older and they've got a phone and whatever that they bring up there, can you say no devices after, you know, nine o'clock at night or whatever it is that sleep is so paramount to like good performance and good grades? Yes. But the video games, as we all know, are built to keep you playing in a way that like Netflix keeps me yes. watching the next episode by counting down. Right. Don't you want to watch the next episode? These video games. You all know, you've all had this happen that you, it doesn't matter if you say, okay, it's going off in 10 minutes. Okay, it's going off in five minutes. Whenever that five minutes is up is exactly the moment that they're at level 8B. And if they don't, you know, kill the dragon now, they're going to ruin the entire progress for the whole level. And all of their friends are also going to lose their progress. And you can't do this to me. There is extreme stress and anxiety about turning off the game almost whenever it happens because they are designed to keep them playing. Yeah. And in some cases to spend money within the game, which is another bad thing about video games. That is like a whole scary development. Like I definitely have friends who've had kids that have spent like they didn't even understand they had access to spend money in a game and the kids spend like $750 buying like new skins on Fortnite. Like, <laughs> I mean, I always tell my husband, I'm like, you're in charge of setting this up so they can't spend money within this game because that seems really beyond me. That's interesting you bring up skins on Fortnite because that was a sort of negative that my 17-year-old brought up from his past when I said, okay, what are the negatives of video games? And he said, well, they're, you know, sometimes kids can be mean to each other. And I said, oh, but isn't it like I had this idea that the virtual playground that you're all meeting on was a kinder place. And he said, no, like if you don't have like the right Fortnite skin, kids will make fun of you. <laughs> or if you do have the right Fortnite skin, you're cooler. It's like back in our day, this was right. the designer jeans, but now it's Fortnite skin. That's right. This is now the second time I've heard of Fortnite skins in the last, you know, 12 hours. But yeah, so I guess it's a thing. So I guess my idea that, oh, it's just a place where they all go to pick flowers together. It's just another place to be cooler than somebody else. If you're good at it, if you're not good at it. Oh, yeah. I mean, th this is what I mean in terms of like in these studies, like the role that video games plays. If it is the playground, it's the same as the playground. It's like my daughter is a my youngest is a big reader. And like I have now twice just put them to bed. And then, of course, I get lazy and my husband and I are watching TV and sometimes we fall asleep on the couch. And then I'll wake up and find out at 11 o'clock at night, she's still awake reading, you know? So it's like that 
book is in the way of her being a good student because she's reading too late at night. And I get that like, yes, video games are more compelling and whatever else. But I'm like, no books in your room are making you a bad student. But like, I have to reset my whole parameter around how I deal with her at night. And I have to make sure she actually goes to bed and isn't reading books. But the book is not the problem. The problem is I have gotten lazy about like supervising her bedtime, basically. And I think with video games, it's like, the video game is more of a symptom of like, okay, there's bullying going on. There's all the same problems exist and video games are now the conduit of it. Whereas in our day, maybe it was like, are you wearing the right designer jeans? But there is like an adrenaline and a reward that's just sort of X10 with video games compared to even a good book or a really cool pair of jeans. For sure. I think that's true. That keeps you playing and playing more and playing longer and getting obsessed. There is a Pew Research study. They asked teenagers, have you ever tried to cut back on the time you spend playing video games? Not because your parents told you to, just because you feel like you should. 60% said, yes, I've tried to cut back. But I can't. Not even that they could or not. Just the point of the study was more like they clearly feel sometimes like they're playing too many video games because 60% of them have tried on their own to play less. They didn't even ask if it worked or not. They're addictive. Yeah, I mean, video games are very addictive. I remember going through a Tetris phase myself where I like couldn't get anything done. I just had to like stack Tetris blocks. I play threes on my phone. I kind of like whenever I get on the subway, I listen to podcasts and I play threes, which is like some people play. Oh, gosh, it's called like 64 or something, too. Anyway, I'm a little addicted. That's true. Yeah, it's easy to get into. But I don't play it in my bed. All right. What else do we have on the bad list, Amy? Okay, on the bad. This was an interesting study also from Iowa State. Dr. Douglas Gentile, his study found that most parents talk about developing a healthy media diet for their children, but don't really actually do it. Like they know it's a good idea, but they don't put it in place. And they tend to believe that other kids, but not their own kids, are more influenced by violent media. That it is a problem in the world, but not for their own kids. So, but I'm not sure I follow that. That we all think it's a problem. We all think that there should be healthy media diets for kids, including our own, but we don't necessarily put them in place. And we think that violent media is a problem for kids, just not our kids, just for other people's kids. Mm-hmm. Other people's kids. Okay, this is everything, by the way. Like, everything is a problem for other people, <laughs> right. not for you. Yes. I mean, I definitely think that, like, violent video games are a problem. And I will stand behind that 100%. But I do think they tend to be a little bit more in the category of like a symptom. Like you have a kid who is having a lot of trouble dealing with his anger in the real world. And violent video games become a huge outlet for an anger that already exists. I just don't believe that you take like a kid who's you know, not having a lot of drama or conflict or, you know, it's just a straight down the middle kid and let them play a violent video game. And suddenly, like their eyes become saucers and they're like, must kill everyone. Like, I don't think that that exists, but I do think that violent video games become an outlet for real problems that real kids have. So violent video games are going to become a problem for kids who kind of have that tendency anyway, like they're going to find their way to those games and become obsessed because that's something that kind of lights them up already. Not a tendency, but that an outlet for like a lot of young boys are like depressed and angry in high school. Right. Right. And that violent video games becomes a way to be like the golem stroking my precious like violent video games become the thing of like, this is my outlet for these horrible, angry feelings I have. And in fact, the outlet for that should be figuring out why you have those violent, angry feelings. Right. Not going home and stroking them for three hours a night by shooting people on the internet. Right. In your bedroom by yourself. Yeah. With the lights out. In your bedroom by yourself. That's right. Like, I don't really believe that violent video games are like, you know, a seductress calling from the rocks that like otherwise like a happy-go-lucky kid is like, ah, and then suddenly they see a violent video game and they're like, (laughs) no, actually violence is the solution. But I do think it becomes a thing where like, there is a lot going on with high school boys and middle school boys and that Playing violent video games for five hours a day is not a good outlet for that like anger and depression that they're actually feeling. You raise an interesting point, which is I do think certain kids are more prone to be sucked in by these games and like have a hard time putting them down, having a hard time stopping. And 
you know, it's for those kids who are a problem. There's one of our listeners, Angie. She's on the side of not allowing video games at home. And she says that her son does play Xbox at his friend's house. And he is allowed to use games on the iPad at his grandmother's house. And that she's okay with that. But that's made her even more certain that she can't have them at home because her kid is so focused on, can we get to grandma's by one o'clock because I need to get on and play or I need to play this special character. There's something in this kid that she sees, like he just loves it a little too well and she likes it being at the friend's house and at grandma's house and not at home. Hmm. It's interesting. And I think, I mean, I definitely have a kid like that. And I think the alternate problem that can develop is like, I have a kid who is toy obsessed and like grandma brings toys and the relationship becomes, I can't wait for grandma to get here to see what I'm going to get. You know, it's like, wait, I actually want you to have a relationship with that person that is not an exchange of goods, you know? (laughs) And I think that building, you know, working in my kid against that thing of like, and also has it with video games, like, when can I get on the game? Because I have to get this, that and the other thing. Like, we have established a thing where like, after school, you can have 45 minutes to an hour of screens. But It has gotten to the point with one of my kids where it's like, we can't do anything after school, even if the ice cream truck's there. He's like, no, no, I got to get home. I got to get my screen time. It's like my time. Yeah. And I think you can very easily create like alternate agendas around this where like my relationship with grandma is all about like she brings toys or I get to play this at her house, you know? Difficult, very difficult. And then there are some kids for whom video games are very important. This is going back to a good thing, actually. We heard from a lot of people that video games were good for my kid who's on the spectrum, who's very awkward socially, who, you know, or who is none of those things, but has just found a real community online that they wouldn't trade for anything and they think has been very useful to this kid socially because sometimes face-to-face interactions are hard. And so I don't want to, like, not allow for that. I think that, yes, there are ways in which video games can have powerful social good for kids who are isolated, for kids who have moved away. Lillian, one of our listeners, said that her daughter is gaming with her friends from the town they moved away from two years ago. She still has a relationship with those kids because of video games. So they can have a good social thing. It's just sort of how not to let it tip. That seems to be what it comes down to. They're okay if there's not too much. But how do you know is... What's enough and how do you know how to put parameters on it? I have something to say about that, Amy. We'll be right back. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty-calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence Whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, 
tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. And now, if being a mom were a video game. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. From PTA Gaming, it's Raise Those Funds. Can you raise several thousand dollars worth of money for the new library wing in only a week merely by selling Rice Krispie Treats at Pickup? If you can, you'll level up to our amazing wrapping paper sales adventure. Coming soon from Top Notch Gaming, it's Store Run. Buckle three kids into five-point harnesses and get out of your driveway before your neighbor pops by to tell you how your hedge is in violation of the neighborhood height ordinance. Don't forget your reusable bags or you'll miss out on crucial bonus points. Now for Nintendo Switch and Xbox, it's parent-teacher conference. Race to the school to make it in time, then use your shield button to attempt to deflect an ever-increasing set of complaints about your child's in-school behavior. And don't forget to try the hottest new game in the mom market. Why am I wearing exercise clothing? Put the exercise outfit you wear all day, every day to use. You'll compete in a series of vigorous exercise activities from shopping for milk to taking the kids to after-school activities to put your active wear to the ultimate test. Or for one-stop mom game shopping, try Apex Gaming's all-in-one adventure, The Mom Decathlon. With exciting events like cooking dinner while helping with 7th grade math homework, carpool to multiple simultaneous after-school activities in different locations at the same time, and talk down your PMSing daughter, this game is pure adrenaline. Work through dozens of levels, but don't forget to feed your hungry teen athlete six times a day, or you'll get knocked back down to the level of mom of newborn. No! This has been If Being a Mom Were a Video Game. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. So I am 100% team. There is a role for like online life in socially awkward people. And not only, I mean, this is true for adults, right? Like I have a friend who's part of a online group that, and they're all just social, they're the land of the misfit toys, you know, but like they all have this incredible life together online and then they get together socially and it greases the wheels of like in-person stuff too. Yeah. And I find that for my kids too, sometimes like when they're struggling socially, it's like those barriers are somehow softer when they're playing games, even if they're just standing together with two controllers playing a game. Like for kids of mine who struggle socially, like that interaction, like you can have a whole play date playing video games, whereas if you were trying to like kick a ball outside, it would not go that well. Mm -hmm. And so I'm all for that. I think, again, limiting it. But where I come out on this is like anything else, like eating, like expectations around how your kids are going to behave around people who have different rules. Like, Having a system that you work with from the time kids are young and knowing your values around gaming, it travels with them as they go, basically, because very early I had a kid who was extremely stressed out by the idea of like the end of screen time or the end of gaming time. And so we started doing like countdowns very, very early, like, hey, you have to get off at this time. But if you're right in the middle of something, you can wrap that thing up. It's fine. You know, I'm not going to like go and like hit the button at 301 and be like, it's over. I told you three o'clock. Right. That doesn't go well. Yeah. Because the amount of like stress and anxiety that was causing. But like we're still whatever, six years into this and we're still using that language around gaming all the time. That like, okay, just know that screen time is over in a half an hour. So like, keep that in mind because as you go, if you're done with a level five minutes before the end of screen time, don't start another level. You're not going to have another 35 minutes. Know yourself. We used to do something with our kids over the summer that we would say you had an hour of screen time a day and we had an hourglass, you know, like with sand in it and you could rest it on its side. And so they had an hour a day and they could use it all at once. They could use just a little bit now and then more later, but they had an hour and having the 
hourglass sort of like in the periphery of their vision, like sitting on the, you know, table in front of the television while they were playing, they could eyeball that and then they could turn it on its side and walk away and come back later. It helped sometimes. It didn't always work, but sometimes it did. Like, because it was, again, it wasn't me saying you had to turn it off. It was the hourglass saying there's only this much sand left. And it helped them sort of gauge. And as you said, turn it off five minutes before they were going to, if it's a good moment to pause. Yeah. You want to reward that behavior. I think the reason why video gaming becomes a big struggle with teenagers is the reason why everything becomes a big struggle with teenagers, because you're losing control over their choices fundamentally, you know, and so you see them exercising more of their own control over things and that it is harder and harder to push back about like, I don't want you drinking, vaping, playing video games for six hours a day. And like, you need to start exercising that control young and try to toe the line as they go along. Because at a certain point, you're not going to have a ton of control over a 17 year old and what they're doing. You want them to have been like exercising control the whole time. Does that make sense? So it does. Don Thea... Price Lisko wrote a list of rules for slate parenting on how to like make video games work in your household. And can we go through them? Because I think that her first rule is exactly that, which is you have to start young. You need to decide what role gaming is going to play in your household when your kids are young. And for some of us grew up gaming, some of us like have friends over for fun to play Mario Kart with a bottle of wine. Like some of us are looking forward to playing video games with our kids and some of us never touch the things. So you need to think about this just as you would think about whether you're going to let your kid watch it. You need to think about when are we going to let our kids start playing video games and not just the ratings. She's like, the ratings are a good place to start, obviously, but you need to start thinking about how much look at the kids friends who are already playing games she suggests and think about their behaviors and their games and how much of that you want to let in i think most of us your kids friends were playing fortnite and then your kid came home and asked about fortnite right like they hear about it other places yeah and i've held off on fortnite for years because i just find it annoying looking but as my kid is approaching 12 i'm like all right, let me revisit this Fortnite thing because now it does seem like right. you're missing out on some social stuff because you're not allowed to be where all your friends are. And like, I'm willing to consider that. She makes a really good point about games, which is that you cannot control the actions of behaviors of players who are not your children. I mean, obvious, but important. And you need to think about that when you think about how much gaming and what role gaming plays in your household that you can't control what the people they're playing with are doing. Yeah. One study made the rather obvious point that ratings for games, like they work, you know, kids have better outcomes when parents use the rating system, you know, and overlook their play accordingly. But you can't always tell when a kid is playing a game, one, what they're hearing on their headset, what they've typed in the chat box, or what the rating is. And so they made the very reasonable suggestion that games should have a rating in the corner, mm. like always hyperimposed so you can see what level game they're playing. That would be nice. She says that you should be aware that there are games that don't have natural stopping points. They're designed that way. Right. But she says, if your kid is stuck in a dungeon, I would advise flexibility until they can comfortably remove themselves without having wasted time or messing up other people's progress, which, yes, I have learned the hard way. Like, you can't do that. I have been the mom who just switched it off. And just the rage. And I was like, I told you to turn it off 10 minutes ago. I don't care. But it did. It did affect not only their game, but their friends. There was a cost to them. I mean, like, I don't care. But it the reason it made my kids so mad was something I didn't fully understand, which was it wasn't even just him that I was affecting. Yeah, that stinks. But there's lessons in both things there. There's lessons in both. But yeah, I mean, it's worth being at least somewhat understanding of, I think. I don't really know how you're supposed to monitor what your kid is saying and hearing on gaming systems. I mean, I know how to do it online. Well, as they get older, you can't. But like, I mean, even my kids are now seven, nine and 11. But like, I'm an dentist for a couple of years and my kids got really, really into YouTube and, you know, there's been all these scares and there's Momo who's going to jump out and teach your kid, you know, horrible things. And there's been a million YouTube scares. And I always tell my kids, I really cannot control. I'm not going to sit there with you while you watch YouTube for 45 minutes because I would rather like eat nails. I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. But 
our living, our TV is in an open space of the house. If I wa- walk by and you're watching something inappropriate on YouTube, you're off YouTube forever, basically. Like, it's not worth it to you. And also, the reason why I don't want you to see inappropriate stuff on YouTube is because it's adults trying to, like, influence you badly or scare you. And that's not in your own best interest. Mm-hmm. And so I often see my kids turn something on YouTube and there's someone with, like, a. it's always bleeped. I've never heard anything with, like, actual curse words. But even if they see somebody, like, you know, making something and they curse and it's bleeped, they immediately turn it off. And like they have come to understand that they don't want to be exposed to bad stuff on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of your only hope is like giving them the power to say like, hey, listen, I don't want you exposed to strangers talking to you because they may not have your best interests at heart and they may say scary or inappropriate things. And so if they're on a game on the internet and a stranger joins it, they are like, oh, I have to get out of this game because there's a stranger here now, you know? That's good. And I think they have to have the tools to be like, I don't want to expose myself to scary things. That's not every kid. There's always a kid who's like, I'm a little curious about that. Yeah, but I mean, you've put it into words and you have a policy around that that they understand. I mean, it seems to me that some kids might be like, oh, there's a stranger talking to me in the game and nobody ever told me that this might happen. And the last person I'm going to tell is my mom because she might not let me play video games anymore, right? There's no plan for that. Instead, it's probably better if you have sort of a family policy around this is what works and this is what doesn't and let the kids have some say in that. Like when I shut off the game and it just caused such a huge, you know, horrible reaction of tears and anger. I needed to take a step back and say like, okay, explain to me what about that was so bad and explain to me what we could do differently next time. And we came up with this sort of family plan around the reasonable warning. And that's when we started using the hourglass because it just needed to be less fraught, but it's a world that I'm outside. So I don't always understand the pull of it like my kids feel it. And I think just being a presence in the same way that like when your kids are two, you stand over them the whole time that you play. You know what I mean? Now that my kids are eight, nine, 11, like we just had a big play date with a bunch, a bunch of kids over. I'm in the other room. But like when we hear shouting, an adult walks outside and says, what's going on? You know, Mm -hmm. when they're 18, they're off on their own, you know. So you try to like as you step back, you try to like enforce boundaries that they can take with them going forward that you're not always having to be there and enforcing that's the whole point right my sister molly has four little boys and they play a very specific set of games usually either mario kart or like we fit which is fantastic because you have four little boys pretending to play baseball or pretending to ski jump or whatever in their living room it keeps them busy inside on winter days but she like goes through the roof when she has to go in and break up fights and set up the thing and it's not working and there's tears because it says player one. And, you know, she's like, I don't even understand this. But the whole point of these video games is to give me some peace to do something else. And I hate when I have to get involved, but you got to get involved at the beginning and then you can take a step back. And I think it's also useful to see like gaming in that symptom way. Like, are you playing an hour of games with your friends, cracking up, annoyed that you have to stop, but then you eventually stop in a reasonable amount of time and you go on about your day? Or are you kind of angrily playing three hours of shooting people games? Like that seems to me like something I would investigate as a symptom. Whether it's you or your kid, you mean? Yeah, more I'm thinking about kids. Like, I don't think I'm going to enter a point of my life where I start angrily playing three hours of shoot 'em up <laughs> video games. I'm not that concerned about that. But like, we thought it would be funny. Let's, let's do it for an experiment. If I see my kid playing games as like a recreational activity that I may or may not think is like the greatest use of their time in the world, but like they're basically playing to like have fun and interact with their friends. Maybe I'm like, okay, it's a waste of time. Okay, we need to actually put our faces in the sun for a while. Okay, okay. But if I'm seeing them play in a way that seems like it's becoming an outlet for aggression, depression, or anger, that's a completely different story that I'm going to address in a completely different way, which is what is causing the anger and depression that is making you feel this incredible need to shoot people virtually for three hours a night. Or to escape into this world as opposed to interacting in their real life. 
why is real life so hard? Right. That's a good way to say it. That even if it's not violent, like, does it seem like something that's being done in a recreational fun way or in a way that is like needed to fill some real (laughs) need that I would explore in a different way? The Xbox shaped hole. The Xbox shaped hole you've got to watch out for. (laughs) Can I give you a quote from Ray to wrap up? This was on our Facebook page and I thought it was great. She says, we enjoy playing video games as a family and my kids play them with their friends. It even seems to have taught them some good skills. However, sometimes I notice a real decline in my kids attitude signaling that they've played too much and it's time for something else. So I would say that video games are part of this complete breakfast. Oh my gosh, it's so crazy. I had not read this quote. And like 40 minutes ago when we were talking, but then we were trying to stay on the good. I was about to say, Amy, it reminds me of part of a complete breakfast, (laughs) which is it's sugary junk. But if you add like an apple, a pear, a piece of steak and some eggs and vegetable, then it's part of a complete breakfast. And that it's so funny because that's exactly the metaphor I was thinking of. Yeah. It's basically sugary cereal. It's basically empty nutritional value, but it can be part of this complete breakfast. Yeah. Ray, you solved it. I love that metaphor. Ray, <laughs> good job. I'm totally on your page. Well, this was a hot topic, so let's keep talking about it. We want to know, does gaming work in your house? Does it not work? Do you wish there was a lot less of it? Has it really showed your kids something wonderful? You can tell us a bunch of ways. We're on Facebook at What Fresh Hellcast. We have a page and a group. Join both. We are on Twitter at WFH Podcast. We're on Instagram at What Fresh Hellcast. And there are a lot of studies today. My favorite. Studies. Amy loves those studies. And I'll go put them up on our show page, which is WhatFreshHealthPodcast.com. Come find us on the web, guys. Put the games away and come interact with us on social media instead. Sounds perfect. We'll talk to you next week. So long. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.